Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome, welcome to Greater Alton Church. And I'm your fill-in guy, Tim. And uh, it's good to be uh, talking again. Last week, a few of us. I, last week, I had three. I, some of you weren't here last week. I had three people in the first service last week, and Nissa got up and left. I lost 33% of my audience. So this morning, I got up and walked out on on a bigger crowd. That was supposed to be funny. Maybe I should take more time off. Well, it's good to be together. Is Tracy here? Tracy Kisner? Stand up. She was baptized just a couple of weeks ago, guys. Right there she is. We're excited. And, and Tanae was in our first service. You're there. Tanae, stand up. You were baptized this week. There she is. <laughs> I just, we want to say welcome. Welcome to the family of God here at Greater Alton. And um, let's treat them good. We're better because you're, you're a part of us. We're glad and congratulate you for your decision to be a disciple. Now, we're in a series of lessons called uh, Fear and Noia. You'll see it on the cover. Uh, what keeps you up at night? And um, we've been, Gary started off by, by basically breaking down what fear is about in the life of Saul. Did a wonderful job. And one of the things he brought out is this idea that there's fear and there's faith as a, as a Christian. As a follower of God, we, we don't have one option. We don't have to face life with fear. We have this other option, faith. I want to say something. I don't know if it makes sense. It makes sense to me. I hope it makes sense to you. Fear, faith is very powerful. Would you agree with that? Very, very powerful and easy to get. Faith is more powerful, but challenging to have. And so this series is about that. Developing the kind of faith where we can cast our fears aside and we can face our lives with confidence in a God that will take care of us. Uh, Denise and I were, um, were called by Matt and Brian. They said, hey, uh, a couple weeks ago, said, we want to go get some, some plants at Home Depot for um, our landscape around our house. I said, okay, great. So we go. And uh, they're looking at different plants. We go to Market Basket, I believe that's what it is. We go there and look. And we go to Home Depot. And then we go inside the Home Depot. And, you know, they got their Halloween stuff out. And there is this 12-foot, pumpkin-headed, black-robed, stick-fingers giant right by the door. And I'm with Carmody, and she just stops. And she's sizing that thing up. I'm three. That's what she's thinking. Nessa's thing is 12, almost 10, 12 feet tall. And I'm, I'm going, what is it, Carmody? That. Yeah, it's scary. But look at all the stuff at the base. Look, it's around him. There's some pumpkins, and there's that zombie girl dressed in white with the black eyes. It's going... You press its hand, it says, Why won't you give me candy? Just because I'm dead doesn't mean I can't eat candy. You know, I mean, you press these gnarly, scary things, and it's in a very echoey voice, and it's sitting there like this. And you know what Carmi does? She runs up and gives it a hug. I'm like, What are you doing? She needs a hug. And it just made me think, we're afraid of different things, aren't we? The little zombie kid scared me to death. The pumpkin head, ah, we're the opposite. And we all have these fears that are different fears. You know, you, some of us here are afraid of heights. Some of us are afraid of bugs. I know a person that's afraid of birds. And it wasn't, had nothing to do with Alfred Hitchcock's movie. Just afraid of birds, period. And some people are afraid of bugs. I know some big, tough, marine type guys when they see a bug, they're diving for cover. A mosquito. Oh, you know, it's a bug. Some people are scared of speaking in public. The man who discipled me and developed and worked with me, mentored me, baptized me, uh, Mike Napier, would tell me, while I'm going through preacher school, I used to throw up before every sermon. That doesn't give me much hope. You know, when I hear my mentor saying, I threw up, no, you didn't. Yeah, I, and I still have, I said, how long have you been preaching? Oh, about 20 years. I'm going, what am I? And you know, I, uh, some people are afraid of speaking in public. You're in a group of five or six and you won't even raise your hand and make a comment. Some people are, a lot of people are afraid of death. 
Next week, Gary's going to be talking about that. The fear of death. How do we face our fear of death? And um, I've done a lot of funerals. And I've noticed that it's a very common fear. Would you agree with that? Sure. Well, I, I want to talk today about a fear I believe that if not all of us, many of us, many people face. And it's the fear of rejection. Look what Mother Teresa says here up on the screen. She devoted her life to taking care of lepers in Calcutta. Here's what she said. We have drugs for people with diseases like leprosy, but these drugs do not treat the main problem, the disease of being unwanted. The sick and the poor suffer even more from rejection than material want. Loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. What's she talking about? Rejection. You know what they're like. Maybe the first time you remember rejection was when you were a little kid at school. And maybe it was a Forrest Gump moment. Remember, seats taken, can't sit here. Maybe it was something like that. Maybe it was a breakup. You dating some girl and it was a breakup. But we all have had these encounters. And this fear is such a powerful fear. Very powerful in the lives. I'm telling you, uh, I was telling the first service that, that uh, to be a good speaker, you want to talk about what you know about. Well, folks, I know this one really well. And I bet you some of you are qualified to speak about this as well. You know what it's like to live with this fear of what people think. Because that's the powerful question behind this fear. This preoccupation, this wonder, this, this fear of what do people really think of me? What does the Bible say about the fear of rejection? What does the Bible say about the fear of people? The Bible says it's a dangerous trap. And it's the worst trap, I believe personally, the worst trap of all. Look at this passage in Proverbs 29, verse 25. It's on your notes and up here on the screen. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Now, I noticed something. I noticed that both fear and faith are mentioned in this passage. Can you see it? Fear and faith are squaring off in this passage. And, uh, and um, we find out, well, I don't want to take anything away from what Coral, Coral's going to talk about here today. She said in the first service, fear is a bad and evil master. And look, look what fear offers. Fearing people, fear is a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safe. You can avoid, you can avoid this trap that we all get into about what people think of us by trusting the Lord. It's a faith issue. Circle, circle, why not circle fearing and circle trust? I did, and I linked them together with a, with my pen on my notes here. So how does the, how does the, how's the fear a dangerous trap? That's a good question. How is it? What, how do we know it's a dangerous trap? Well, let me give you five, um, just five. There's probably more. Here's the first one, and that is that my fear pressures me to conform. In other words, I, 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 I'm um, so fearful of what people think, I become a chameleon. Um, I try to conform to whoever I'm with. I had somebody one time say to me, "Tim, you'd be a great politician." I didn't know whether to take it as a compliment or as an insult. I didn't sure what to say. Why? Because you can speak out of both sides of your mouth. Thanks. But I can understand what you know, it is that this fear, this pressure to conform. I want to be approved. I want to be accepted. So I try to read the person and, and conform to what they like. And that gets you in trouble if two different people are in the same room. Right? Yeah, it'll get you in big trouble big trouble. Let me say this as we're talking about this. A lot of preachers don't want to talk about this in churches. It's because it sounds like you don't need anybody in your life to tell you how to live. I've been in churches where the fear of being approved and accepted by a Christian friend or leader puts such pressure on me that I do the right thing, but it's not out of faith but out of fear. And see, becoming like Christ, conforming to the life of Christ and the values of Christ and of Jesus is something that should be done by faith, not fear. And if you ever find yourself feeling like you're being pressured, maybe, well, I'm afraid if I 
If I don't conform, then I'll be rejected by the preacher or rejected by my small group or rejected by a Christian friend. You need to think again what's going on there. Because, to, because God wants us to, to be like Jesus because of our faith, not because we're afraid. What kind of life is that? You're really like, you're, all you'll be doing is mimicking the life of Christ. It won't be real. You'll be miserable. That's the first thing what fear of rejection does. It pressures me to conform and, and makes me, makes me uh, lose who God made me to be and become in the process. Number two, the fear of rejection prevents me from giving and receiving love. Now, all five of these I can relate to personally. That this fear of rejection makes it hard for me to love and it's hard to receive love. In other words, when you get, I don't know about you, but when I get hurt, I shut down. When I get hurt, somebody rejects me, I begin to shut down, I begin to build walls, I begin to isolate myself, and it seems like it feeds on itself so much that I start believing maybe I'm not who I think I am. Maybe I'm a jerk. Maybe I am. I do look funny. Maybe I do talk funny. Maybe I'm not worth loving. I'm, I'm unlovable. And so I just continue to isolate myself, back off some more, into my, I know people that stay in their homes and never come out because of this fear. Not only does it prevent me from this idea of, of, of receiving love, but giving love. I, can, I want to be a good friend. I want to love people. But this fear of what will they do if I speak up makes me not speak up. And therefore I'm not being the friend I need to be. See the, see the mess it makes? This fear, what a terrible master it is. And so I, I, I won't say anything because what if I do? I mean, they'll, they might get mad and they might reject me and, and I'm going to be a, you know, a butt over it or something. Or they'll, they'll give me a hard time. And probably what I know best is uh, that I see in my own life over the years, and maybe you see this too, true as well, is this idea of I begin to lie and shade the truth when I'm talking to people because I don't want them to reject me. So my fear of rejection pressures me to conform. It prevents me from giving and receiving love. And my fear of rejection leads to misery. I don't, I don't know how to make that sound sexy, folks, but it's true. It leads to more misery and an unhappiness. You know, I got to thinking, the constant pressure to please people will crush you. It will crush your joy. It will crush your confidence. It will crush your excitement. And and so so and, and you, I find, I find this to be true for me. Maybe not for you, but but my my emotions are at the mercy or influenced by the highest bidder, whoever I want to impress the most. So sometimes, you know, if I please somebody, I'm really excited and happy. And if I disappoint them, I'm sad. It's like a, I'm sad and mopey and dopey. It's like an emotional roller coaster with no brakes. Got an awful quiet in here. Does any of this make sense? It makes sense to me. And maybe this lesson's just for me. That's fine too, okay? Here's a fourth one. My fear of rejection prevents me from sharing my faith. How many times have you been talking about the Cardinals or the Cubs or the Packers or, or talk about, you know, different things, recipes, fashion, automobiles, and then you bring up Christ or you bring up the church and all of a sudden it's like somebody has turned the switch off, like things have gotten really cold in here. That ever happened to you? You know that that's it. And, and so you go, you think, man, I'm not going to bring up church anymore. I'm not, you know, I want to invite people to church. I want to talk about Christ. I'd love to open the Bible up with them. But Tim, if I do, what if they reject what I'm saying? Because I'm afraid they're going to reject Jesus. Are you sure that's who you're afraid of? They're rejecting. Because honestly, don't we worry about being rejected personally? You're a kook. You're crazy to believe that. That doesn't make any sense. And so this fear of, of wanting to be accepted and liked with our friends that, that need Christ can prevent me from sharing my faith. And then fifthly, my fear of rejection keeps me from spiritual maturity. Keeps me from growing. What do you mean, Tim? Well, I, well when we talk about me here, I can be so preoccupied 
with pleasing others that pleasing God gets lost. That, that what God wants gets lost because I'm too focused on what does my spouse want? What do my kids want? What, what do my friends want? Do, what do my Christian friends want? What do other leaders want? What does my employer want? What do other employees want? On and on and on. You say, well, so we don't need to be pleasing people? Well, wait a minute. I think I want to bring a smile to people. I want to, I want to please people. I don't want to be a people pleaser, though. I want to bring pleasure to people. I don't always do that. But I don't want to be a people pleaser. My grandchildren are doing this to me now. I don't even know what the question is. They just start going, please, please. I go, wait a minute, what, what do you want to do, please? Like they're setting me up. Well, of course, what is it you want, Nora? Please, please, what is it you want? I want to ride in a golf cart. Okay. And before I can say, okay, please, she's already said, I go, no, no, you don't have to say please anymore. I love pleasing my grandchildren. Oh, my goodness. Watching them laugh. And, you know, Carmody's wanting to go to, the, to the, this bouncy thing at this uh, bird sanctuary I never heard of. We were over there. A thousand people show up for this thing. I didn't know that many people cared about birds. And so we're, we, she goes, please. I go, please what? Well, I want to go to the bouncy thing. Well, let's go to the bouncy thing. So we go to the bouncy thing, and I watch her jump up and down. I love bringing a smile to my children and my grandchildren and my friends and to you. But I can't be a people pleaser. It can't be all about that. So what does the Bible say? What does God say about this? And, and how, what does He say to how to overcome this fear that I don't believe I'm the only person that struggles with this, okay? You don't have to be in the third. This is not a third grade thing. This can be at 60 and 70 as well. What can I do? What could, what, so help me out. What's the Bible say? Well, i got three that help me. The first one is, I recognize that I'm not going to please everyone. <laughs> I say, I've had that said to me so many times, even last week. You know you can't please everybody. You see, I know that. I know that, but I don't believe that. You know what I'm saying? I know it's true, but I think I'm the exception. I think I can do it. And I fail. Now to think about a good example where you can't please everybody, for me, is when I went to Springfield, Illinois with Denise and we went through the Abraham Lincoln Museum. And if any of you have done that, anybody else done that? Oh my goodness. You go through the White House and the ball dresses and there's the cabin and you see the Lincoln's life and then you get to his casket and they've redone, they've completely reproduced uh, the photo of his of his funeral with the black plumes and everything. It's spectacular. You learn so much about Lincoln. And then you go through this gauntlet. It's a plastic tunnel. Denise and I were looking at something, and I hear all this screaming and hollering. I go, man, somebody's upset. And I'm thinking, maybe it's one of the Lincoln, and you know, the drawn, uh, Lincoln relative. This is not right. Maybe they're, they're all yelling. I'm going, there's a commotion. And I walk over, and it's gone. And it's time to leave, so we walk through this tunnel, and all of a sudden, bam, this hologram face comes out of nowhere. What are you doing? You're not doing enough. What's wrong with you? And then wham, another voice, another hologram face. And he's, he's you're all mean people, you know, and they're, they got mutton chops, you know, and you meet people with mutton chops, you know they're mean, man, they're mean. <laughs> and he's yelling at me, and he's going, you're not going far enough. And all the way down this, people are yelling at you to give you the the, the idea, just the idea of what it's like for Lincoln. We're getting a taste of that, I think, now. Media just, oh man, down on everything. But I'll never forget that. And I thought to myself, you know, he couldn't please everybody. Everybody wanted pleased. And by the way, everybody in your life wants you to please them. But you can't do it. You won't do it. Look at Second Corinthians here. Paul talks about this. As a Christian, he says, in fact, God thinks of us as perfume that brings Christ to everyone. Once you circle everyone, everyone. We're to bring Christ to everyone. Did you hear that? You are to bring Christ, and we are like the aroma of Christ. And when we walk in, we light up a room. When we walk in, we turn it another direction as a Christian. We have influence of everyone on this planet. 
He says, for some, for people who are being saved, this perfume has a sweet smell that leads them to a better life. But for people who are lost, it has a bad smell that leads them to a horrible death. He says, some people say it's sweet. Some people say it's a stench. One of my favorite perfumes in high school, when I was dating this girl, um, she wore skinny dip. Just the name of it excited me. But it smelled. It backed up the name. Oh, I remember years ago I mentioned that. And Billy Armstrong, I don't know if she got it on eBay or what, she bought me a bottle of Skinny Dip in the box. Denise wore a cotillion. It was too much for me. I remember the night before we, uh, the, before our, our wedding, I went home and she had, I'd had her in my arms, you know, holding her, and she had that cotillion on, and it was on my shirt, and I put the shirt over my head and slept, going, oh, man. Now, some of you are going, that's stupid. I'm just saying, for some people, though, you just light, you do nothing wrong. You light up the room. They are so excited to see you. Look who it is. You know, and you just, and you remind them of Christ. You remind them of Jesus. You remind them of what's good about life. And you can, in that same room, somebody else is there going, I smell Limburger. What is that stench? Oh no, it's him. Oh no, it's her. I can't stand the sound of their voice. Why? Because you stand for something. You stand for Jesus Christ. And not everybody likes it. Not everybody wants it. You see, not everybody's going to agree with you. Not everybody's going to think your idea is the greatest. Not everybody's going to, going to look at you and go, I just like having you around. No, not everybody's going to think you're the brightest, you know, or the sharpest tool in the shed. Not everybody is going to go, I, I, I we're going, to, we're going to ride together and there's only room for three other people and they're going to want you. Not everybody's going to want you to ride with them in their car. Why? Because you can't please everyone. Even Jesus, listen folks, Jesus Christ was rejected. So what are the chances of me being able to please everybody if He couldn't do it? He could do anything. He could do everything. And He couldn't please people. Look at the passage here in Isaiah 53. It says we despised Him. This is a prophecy about Jesus. We despised Him and rejected Him. He endured suffering and pain. I want you to notice real quick here. He was despised, rejected, and He suffered. It hurt. Tim, it hurts when people reject it. Jesus understands that. It was painful for him too. No one even looked at him. Yeah, he turned heads the other way. Nobody wanted to even look at him. We ignored him as if he were nothing. That's a prophecy. 750 years before Jesus came, that's what Isaiah says. Is it true? Well, his best friend John said this in John 1. He opens up his gospel with, he came to his own people and even they rejected him. I got thinking about that. Who rejected Jesus? He wasn't even born yet. And the innkeeper's saying, no. Herod, he's not even a few days old. And Herod's going, I want him dead. He's a baby for crying out loud. He hasn't done anything yet. Ah, yeah. Done more than you think. I want him out. What a beautiful baby. That's not what Herod's thinking. Rejects Jesus at birth. And then you got the elders and the teachers of the law. They hassle Jesus the entire time. And they, it says they plot His death. His own family. You're crazy. We've come to get you. We have the paddy wagon right out here. We've got to take you. You've lost your mind. And the people who would say, Hosanna! Hosanna! As Jesus came into Jerusalem, would later start chanting, Crucify Him. The same people? The same people. I was thinking about this. He managed to please. I don't even know if it's please. He managed, he managed to bring pleasure to a handful of people. Just a handful. That blows my mind. Not going to please everyone. Now I want to say this to you as a caution. Just because you can't please everyone doesn't mean you need to be a jerk. 
Owie, owie. Because you, you know, because I think, I, I know people, I are one of them. I know some people that do this. When they get rejected, they get mad, they get bitter, they get vindictive, they want their pound of flesh. Am I right? They, for some reason, they think if someone's rude to them, they can be rude back. There's no passage for this. You've been rude to me, so I can be rude right back. You rejected me? Well, I'll take this. I've done it many times. It doesn't give you and I a license. I know people say, well, I'm not a people pleaser. They don't please anybody. They're rude, mean, Bitter? No, I just need to recognize I can't please everybody. The Bible says as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. You try to live at peace with all men, right? But sometimes you can do all you can and it's still not going to make it work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work out. And I got to thinking about this because there's a passage here on the screen. This is not in your, your notes, but it is in the Bible. And look what Peter says here. It says people insulted Christ, but He did not insult them in return. Christ suffered, but He did not threaten. He let God, the One who judges rightly, take care of Him. I don't like this verse. You know, it's right up there with a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Instead, those who oppose Him, He must gently instruct. He ought to be kind. I don't like those verses. But they're there. And look at this. You joking, Tim? No, I'm serious. I don't like these verses. They're there. This is what God wants. And notice, insulted, is that rejection? Suffered? Did Jesus suffer through rejection? Just like you, He does. And what's His response? You see, what I realize is, rejection may affect me, but it doesn't have to direct me. It may affect me, and it will affect me. I'll say it that way. It will affect me, but it doesn't have to direct me. I can choose a different path. I can choose a different path. So I need to recognize. I just need, that's the first thing for me personally, and I hope it'll help you. Let's just recognize, okay, I can't please everybody, but don't be a jerk about it. Just accept the fact. It's the way it is. Number two, to overcome this fear of rejection, one of the things I can do is I can concentrate on pleasing God over pleasing people. If you're going to please somebody, since you can't please any, uh, everybody, who are you going to please? I think you ought to choose God. Romans 12 says this, Do not pay back evil for evil, but focus your thoughts on what is right in the sight of all people. Now some of the other translations, more liberal translations and modern translations, translated something like this. You know, don't, don't try to get even. Focus on what people think is right. That is not what that passage is saying. It's saying, let people see that you'll do what is right. Let them see consistency. That you're going to do what is right. Now sometimes that pleases people. Sometimes it won't. Sometimes it won't even please you. You try to please God. Sometimes I find myself when I'm pleasing God, it's not a pleasure. Holy Spirit nudges you and says, I want you to talk to this person. I want you to, you've got to deal with this, Tim. I don't want to. Do you want to please me? No. Who do you want to please? Me. You mean you want to please God? No. I want to please me. What are you going to do, Tim? Lord, if I choose to please You, it's not going to be a much of a pleasure for me. What are you going to do, Tim? And at first, I'm a fighting and swinging, but after a while, you quit fighting and swinging, don't you? And go, I'm going to, I'm going to please You. This is not. This is going to suck. And he's going, but it brings me pleasure. It brings me pleasure, just like you like Tim. You just said a minute ago, you like watching your grandkids smile. Got a better smile than them. Don't you want to please me? Yes, I do, Lord. See, sometimes I don't know. I place I I feel like we place much much too much too much value on what other people think, their opinions. 
And I think people are essential. I, could, I wouldn't be who I am without people in my life. People speaking into my life. You wouldn't be where you are without people speaking in your life. Sometimes to overcome your fear of rejection, you need to take somebody along. And there's some men in this, in this room that went along with me as I was confronting a major fear of someone. And I appreciate it. I thought about it all last night in my bed. How much I owe some of the men here. And I want to tell you that, um, I, and I know people, it's good to have people. This, this church thing, guys, is a crazy, for me, is a crazy experiment. How do you put all these people together that are different and they agree with each other and they get along? It's impossible on our own. On our own, yeah. But with the Lord's help, it's possible. And so I know people are essential. The church is the body of Christ. It's made up of people. You need me. I need you. I should protect you. You should protect me. When you hurt, I should hurt. When you rejoice, I should rejoice. But I have to remember, we have to remember, these people are human beings. They're not God. They have flaws. They have weaknesses. And they're going to let you and I down. I'm going to let you down. You're going to let me down. We're going to let our family down. It's going to happen. Why? Because we're people. We're human. Human error is not an understatement. The thing is, see, I've watched for years people put their faith in a preacher, in a leader, a political person, a spouse, a parent, Put their faith. Listen, it's, it's, we should believe in people. But putting your faith in somebody that much that belongs really to God is dangerous. Because when they fail you, it will devastate you. Some of us here, when you get back in the pulpit, when you get back in the pulpit, you think that compliments me. You think I walk away going, wow, I feel like, you know, I feel like I feel awful. Now, I don't want you to go out here after church here and go, Tim, your sermon was sucked. I don't want you saying that to me either, okay? Unless you're serious, okay, we'll talk. But I'm, I'm just saying that we put our faith in a person. Listen, the church is not supposed to stay the same. It's supposed to change. I have to. I say that loud, not because you're hard hearing, because this ear is hard hearing. I don't. I got to remember that. Look at the Bible says in Isaiah 51 here. The Lord says, I am the one who comforts you. So why should you be afraid of people who die? Why should you fear people who die like the grass? Hmm. Why should I fear people that die like grass? In other words, people are not God. He goes, I'm the one that should comfort you. Those people. Why are you, why are you putting so much stock in those people? Especially those people that are critical of you, that try to put you down and destroy you, that reject you. Their attitude and their view of you dies when they die. And how many of us still have that, what they say, in our head still? Like those holograms. People are just human. They die like grass. So what's the answer, Tim? What's, what's the answer? It seems to me that if I'm going to please someone, I need to please someone that matters. And that's the Lord. Just please the Lord. Galatians 1 says, I'm not trying to please people. Paul says, I'm not trying to please people. So he's a jerk to everybody? No. I don't need people. He's not saying that. He's, I'm not about people pleasing. I want to please God. I want to please God. Well, I tell you, we ought to pray about that more often. Maybe I'll have it on our lips. Lord, I want to please You. I want to please You. Do you think I'm trying to please people? If I were doing that, watch this. If I were doing that, I'd not be a servant of Christ. In other words, I cannot serve Christ adequately when I'm trying to please people. When it's all about pleasing people, or most of it about pleasing people. Again, I'm not trying to say you don't want to bring a smile to someone's face, but you don't want to compromise your giving God pleasure so you personally will have pleasure from somebody's approval over something that isn't, isn't right. It isn't prudent and wise. First Thessalonians, look at it, it says here, we speak. When we speak, we're not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. And see, Paul says, I'm settling this. 
pleasing thing, because I'm sure he was confronted with it too. you got people starting to beat you up. You might want to compromise what you're about to say. You're going to stone me? Well, maybe I'm a little too rough here. No. He says, no, I'm going to please God. Why? Because he's the one who tests my heart, not people. You know, again, I'm not talking about people speaking into your life with the Word of God. They're trying to help you. That's that's a whole different thing. I'm talking about people. We put way too much stock in the opinion of somebody. And I, I, I really need to look at what God wants and not what I want. So he says, I'm gonna, if I'm going to please anyone, he says, I'm going to please God. And to me, this... When I when I made this decision, when I do it, I can't say I do it all the time. I'd be lying to you. But when I do it, it's so liberating. I don't feel pushed around and led around and bossed around. Neither will you when you make that decision. Now, Coral is going to share. She asked if she could share. Go ahead and share with us what you know about fear. I've spent most of my life being afraid. Um, a few years ago, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, and we were talking about the fact that most decisions that we made in our life were based on what fear would have us do. And so when Gary mentioned doing this series, uh, while he was preaching, I texted him, and I'm like, I've got to do my testimony. And uh, I kept bugging them. <laughs> so when is this happening? When can I do this? because I felt it was very important to share what fear has done to me and what God has done for me. Um, so I wanted to start out by just listing some of my fears. Um, fear of failure, fear of confrontation, fear of talking to people, fear of being caught when I did something wrong, fear of looking weak, fear of never getting married, fear of what others thought of me, fear of rejection, Fear of losing my children, fear of not having enough money, fear of speaking up for myself, fear of making choices because of a fear of being wrong, fear of disappointing others, fear of really living, fear of putting myself out there, fear of being vulnerable, fear of saying no, fear of standing up for what's right, fear that God's plan for me is not what I want for me. So as I thought about all these fears and all of these decisions that I've made based on fear, it came to that conclusion that fear is an awful master. You know, fear is an evil master. Um, because in my life, and I'm sure probably in this too, fear tried to destroy me. Um, so I'm going to just let you know about a couple of situations in my life where fear really did try to destroy me. When I was 14 years old, I got my first boyfriend. And um, we dated for a couple months. And after a couple of months, he raped me. And I was too afraid to say anything to anybody. And I was too afraid to break up with him. Not because I feared what he would do to me, but I was afraid that people would ask, why would you break up with him? And then I'd have to tell them, and that wasn't going to happen. So I stayed with him. You know, and part of me was afraid that I think, I've tried to figure it out, um, but part of me was afraid of confronting him and saying that he was a bad person and hurting him. I know it doesn't make sense, but that's where I was. Well, I eventually got the courage to, to break up with him uh, after it had happened five times. Um, but I got that courage up because every time it happened, I lost a little bit of myself. And I remember thinking, if I stay with him, I'm going to disappear. I'm going to totally lose myself, and I didn't want that to happen, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and God eventually, well, God was giving me the courage, I just didn't, didn't take it. So eventually I took that courage, and I broke up with him, and I stayed strong so that whenever he begged me to take him back, I stayed firm, and I didn't. Uh, fast forward 20 years, and um, I was married, um, most of you know, and I was married to someone who was supposed to be a Christian, but he wasn't very godly. And I found myself losing myself in my relationship with him also. So we were in counseling with Chris and Alan, and uh, 
Mike had threatened me, and it was a pretty serious threat. And I brought it up in one of our counseling sessions. And the next day, Alan called me, and he's like, you got to get out of this. I don't trust him. I don't like this. You need to leave. I was terrified of staying, but I was more terrified of leaving. So I stayed. And it was just a couple of weeks later that he drugged me. And that's a totally different story. If you want to know about that, I can tell you some other time. But I just looked at how my my choices in choosing what fear would have me do nearly destroyed me. Um, another thing that fear <laughs> attempts to do in your life and has done in my life, fear tries to silence you. Um, I think about, you know, and, and it really has to do with that fear of rejection. You know, I don't, I don't want to confront you. I don't want to tell you something that's going on in your life because I'm afraid of your reaction. I don't want to tell you what's going on in my life because I'm afraid of your reaction. And you know what? Those fears, it's sad to say, are not unfounded. For all of you who are Christians, you have made a commitment to become a better person. You've made a commitment to help your brothers and sisters become better people. So when a brother or sister comes to you and points something out in your life, you know, this has happened several times in my life where I've gone to a person and I've said, hey, you know, I'm noticing this in your life, and they turn on me and they attack me. No wonder I'm afraid. Or when I confess something unjudged, no wonder I'm afraid. So if you are a Christian and somebody is confessing to you and you are judging them, or somebody is trying to point something out in your life and you're attacking them and getting defensive, stop it. Because you are being an instrument of Satan. He is trying to use you to shut somebody up. And that is not what is meant to be, not what God wants. Now, I, the Holy Spirit is a nag. <laughs> because, you know, um, the Holy Spirit would keep saying, hey, you should say something. Hey, you should do that. Hey, you should speak up. Hey. And I did. And, you know, there are a couple of instances where I did speak up, and it was actually a good thing. You know, um, with Alan, <laughs> I I don't even remember what it was, but there was something, and I'm like, hey, Alan, you know, this I this is I see this, and you know, I think this is kind of good, and this is his reaction. You're right. Yes, that's yes. You're right. I should do that. <laughs> and I remember thinking. <gasps> He listened. He didn't get defensive. He didn't tone on me and attack me because that's what I was so used to. Another situation in my own life as far as confessing stuff, um, my small group is so supportive. Your small group is supposed to be your safe place. And a few years ago, I had some stuff going on, and I just, I said it. And they loved me, and they accepted me, and they forgave me. It's such a wonderful feeling. Um, you know, I think as far as how, I mean, God is the only one who can change your heart. You can choose your actions, but God can change your heart. And God changes your heart when you choose the actions. And I think about, you know, some people say they have no filter. I have a super ultra filter. And so whenever that Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you should say something, well, then I think about, well, if I say this, then they're going to say that, and then I'm going to say this, and they're going to say that, and they're going to do this, and I'm going to do No, it's not worth it. <laughs> you know? And so what I have done, I mean, I, I pray constantly, but one thing that I've done to help me overcome my fear is I stop thinking. <laughs> you know? When the Holy Spirit says, hey, you should do that, I'm like, okay! <laughs> and I just do it. You know, and sometimes it turns out bad, sometimes it turns out good, but the best thing that has happened is God has used that and has changed my heart, and I am no longer afraid. Do I give in to fear? Yes. Yes, every once in a while, yes, I do still give in to fear, but I am not afraid. Fear is no longer my master. 
I do not bow down to fear. I do not base my decisions on what fear would have me do. Like I say, sometimes I do give in. But he's not, it, it is not my master anymore. God is my master. And uh, God is so good. And God, God hates that fear has got a grip on your life. He loves you so much. And he is ready to help you overcome that. You just have to take that first step. Thank you, Cora. So I realize I can't please everybody. I focus, I start concentrating on pleasing God over pleasing others. And the third thing I can do is I accept how God sees me. I know, I can know something, but I need to accept it. That's a different thing now. Look what the Bible says here in Proverbs 16. Humans are satisfied with whatever looks good. God probed for what is good. God looks deeper. See, the world's preoccupied with appearance. That's why, that's why all of us are guilty at one time or another of profiling. It's not just the cops that do it. We do it. We look at, we look at things like height, weight, clothing, the kind of house, the kind of car we own, the behavior of our kids. Um, we worry what people think if our clothes aren't just right. Uh, we worry uh, what, our, what people think if they come in and go, fried fish again? You know, the house is in a mess or something like that. I, I read an article just two weeks ago uh, talking about what your guests see in your home that you don't see. And it's all these filthy, dirty, wrinkly places, you know. And, and how many times have you... Somebody's coming over. Oh, they can't come over! The people are going to think our house is a wreck and they're going to think, well, what are they going to think about us? Now, I'm not saying leave your let the place be a dump, you know, but, I, but honestly, we let that, we give away too much uh, credit there. We even worry about if our kids act up, the way our kids act, because if our kids act up, then it's going to reflect on what kind of parents we are. And people are going, to, how many times have you been in Walmart or someplace and the kids are acting up, you're thinking, would somebody please whip that kid? You know, do something about your child. And then, you find yourself in that same situation a little later. My uh, nephew, Reese, is playing quarterback for the McKendry Bearcats. And um, uh, we go and watch the home games. We've been watching them. And it's exciting to see. It's only college football I really get to see live. And so we go, we go to this homecoming game. We're all going and we're all showing up. Nathan and Nicole are there with their children. Matt and Breen are there with their children. And we're all there to watch uh, Reese play football, but the grandchildren aren't watching. They're playing. Running around, jumping over stuff. We're up on the very top of the bleachers, 50-foot drop, and we're worried and watching the kids. They don't slip through the cracks and plop. You know, we're watching that kind of stuff. The parents aren't watching. They can't watch the football game. They're watching the kids that aren't watching the football game, making sure they don't get into mischief. And I'm, and every once in a while I see Brian and Nicole kind of, you know, they, they, every mother, every mother at a time, their eyes start darting around and wonder what I was thinking. As the kids either, I want something to eat! Or I, you know, I, I just threw something valuable off the bleachers. And, and, you know, your little brother, you shouldn't have done that, Carmody, you know. But everybody's, you know, everybody's getting kind of, you're wondering if everybody's worked up. And, oh, I hope they're watching the football game and not watching how, my kids are acting. And Nathan is sitting there holding Ellie and Ellie's sitting there, you know, and, and she's just looking around and, you know, wiggling around. And these two ladies sitting next to Nathan lean over and say, you know, we've been watching you and your wife with your children and we think you're just marvelous parents. And Nathan's like, <laughs> they understand, you know. Because kids like herding cats. Come on, it's hard. And so, and isn't that, I mean, we do, we wonder what people are thinking. We're all hung up on the exteriors. We all are. There's a very popular passage in the Bible. God is looking for a new king. Saul is no longer going to be king of Israel. And so he sends Samuel to a guy's house named Jesse. And here come the seven sons of Jesse. It's the the parade of princes, I call it. You know, And here they come. They're walking by. And Samuel's like, like like a kid at a toy store. Is that the one? Is that what we're getting? 
<laughs> no, that's not the one. Let him go. Oh, this must be him. Look at him. He looks presidential. He's got to be the one. No, he's not the one either. And then Eliab walks by and he is looks right, looks good, good looking. His, his teeth are all there, you know. He's going to be, he's disciplined. And God's like Samuel, no, 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 no. That's not the guy either. He says, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. And he doesn't mean reject him as a person. I'm just not reject, I'm rejecting him as a new king. I don't want him to be the king. The Lord, look at this, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Hmm. You know, the Lord still doesn't look at people the way we see them, does He? No, people judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, Jesus didn't care what people looked like. God didn't care. He looked at a guy's heart. He looked past the, the weight, the height, the hair, the glasses, the the acne or whatever you want to call it, you know, whatever it be. He looked past the flaws. Ears sticking out, crooked teeth, bow leg. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm talking about me. You know, he looks past all that and he looks at the heart. He looks at what is good, not what necessarily looks good. And Jesus did the same thing when He came to this earth. He looked at people and He saw not how they appeared was what He paid attention to. He looked past all that. Here's Zacchaeus, a short little guy. You know, not well liked. He doesn't. He doesn't look at that. He sees this guy is going to tell me in a few hours after a meal that he's going to make right whatever people he's done wrong. That's the kind of heart I can use. That's the kind of man I see. He looks past that. See, people. Let's face it. Come on. Come on. People see snapshots of us. They don't see the whole film. Right. A lot of stuff is on the editing floor. It doesn't make people just see snapshots of us Sundays, or we're in small group, or we maybe it treats in the trunk, and that's kind of crazy. That's a crazy snapshot. But you see that we do a few things, but God sees the whole movie from beginning to end, and He sees past the costume, past our veneer of what we want to present to other people. He looks into our hearts, and what He sees, He finds good. Isaiah 11. I don't know if you have this passage on on the, but this look at this passage. I found this this morning. This morning, it had it had to make the cut. Look at this. Look what the Bible says about Jesus. Isaiah prophesies about Jesus. Says he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, or decide by what he hears with his ears. What's that mean? He isn't going to decide how he feels about you or how he perceives you by what he sees on the outside or by what other people say about you. You all got gossiped about somewhere. Sometime this week, somebody was talking about you. How do you know that? Because you were talking about them. And so, he says he doesn't do that. He doesn't judge based on that. But what? But with righteousness. He will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. What's he saying? He says, with righteousness, with what's true with what's true he's going to be honest with us but also with justice with what's fair with what's fair come on you know we're not very fair are we sometimes we're not very fair when we look at each other thank god he is he looks at past what you sometimes we say stuff we really don't mean right my wife knows that. She goes, Tim, I know you don't mean that. No, I do. I mean it this time. No, you don't. You're right. She knows me better than anybody. But God knows me better than her. And He knows. He sees past that stuff. He knows what our heart, where our heart really is with Him. He's, he finds good in your heart when you can't find anything. And so when He sees you, He says, he says things like this when Jesus was on the earth here in John 7. After healing somebody on the Sabbath, you think everybody would be excited. They're all bent. And he goes, look, you can circumcise a boy on the Sabbath and you have no problem with that. I healed a guy on the Sabbath. And you got a problem? Man, stop judging by external standards and judge by true standards. He's saying, don't judge me. Don't judge others based on external 
He's asking us to do the same thing. That's why this is a marvelous experiment of how does, how does God work? And the world sees how God works with His church. How do we get along? But can I tell you, it's not just having this, this uh, seeing people the way God sees them, but I also need to see people the way God sees them when I'm looking in a mirror. Because sometimes we can be our own worst critic and put ourselves down to death by the criticisms we get from others. And so it's important that I see and I accept how God sees me. Well, what does God see when He looks at me? He sees everything. Everything. Everything, Tim? Everything. No one else has that advantage. So His opinion matters more than anyone else's, right? Because He sees it all. It says here in Hebrews 4, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked. What do you mean naked? I said this in the first service, but I guess I'll say it in a second. How many people have seen you naked? I know that's a bad question. I'm sorry. That's not a good question when you start. I mean, that's a nosy question. None of my business, right? Yeah. I mean, I get to think, how many people see me naked? Oh, that's not even a good, that's not even right. Please don't say that kind of stuff. That don't make sense. You know, but, but, you know, not very many people have seen you naked. Not very many people want to see you naked. I get that. But when he says naked here, he's not talking about naked or naked. He's not talking about that. He's talking about everything is just there. It's uncovered before his eyes. And says, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Now, it doesn't mean you walk to somebody and say, oh, you don't have to hold me accountable. God uses Christian friends to hold us accountable, okay? But it's he that sees everything as the one whose opinion should matter because he's the one that holds us accountable. You see, when God looks at you and God looks at me, yeah, He sees my flaws. Yeah, He sees my weaknesses. Yeah, He sees my failures. And He does see my fears. But you know what else He sees when He looks at you? He sees His image. You were made in His image. Like I see my kids, they're mine. My grandkids, they're partially mine. I see myself in them. I don't see that in your kids. I don't see that in your grandkids. Sorry to say that. Well, my grandkids are perfect. My children are perfect. And they've married two perfect people. You can deal with my problem later. But you see what I'm saying? That's my perception. Are they, do I think, are they perfect? Of course not. But it doesn't matter. And God knows. He sees it all and says, it doesn't matter. You mean I can live any way I want? Of course not. If you've got a God that sees you this way and loves you, why would you want to do what you want? Wouldn't you want to want to do what He wants? Of course. Of course. See, He sees Himself. He sees who I really am and who I can become. And He sees potential. And when He sees all of it, flaws and all, He sees, he sees it all and goes, I love it. I love it. Look what it says here in 1 John as we close. The best friend of Jesus said these words, We need have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. His perfect love for us eliminates all dread of what He might do to us. And then He has this, this little bit of caution, a warning. If we're afraid, it is for fear of what He might do to us and shows that we are not convinced that He really loves us. I want you to notice there's fear and faith again in this passage. If we're afraid, circle that. If we're afraid, there's that fear. If we're not fully convinced, circle fully convinced because there's the faith. And if we're, if we're still afraid, we know, I know you love me. We sing the song. For God, we quote the scripture, for God so loved the world. It's one of the first, the first passage I ever memorized. John 3.16. I know it. But am I convinced? Oh man. Do I really believe it? That's a faith issue. Do you really believe it, church? See, God loves you and me differently than people. 
His love is unlimited. I've said this before. It's not based on how good you or I are. It's based on how good He is. And for some of us, this is hard to accept. It's hard for me sometimes to accept it. I, like I said, I know it, but I'm not convinced sometimes. Because when I, here's what I feel. When I'm doing good, He's good. But when I'm doing bad, He's gotta be mad, right? Because that's how I love. That's how you love. When it's good, I'm good. But when you do bad, man, I start getting mad. That's human love. Limited, conditional love. You see, God doesn't love like people. He doesn't love like you or me. Praise God. I just need to accept how He sees me. Once and for all, just start believing it. I've read it said this way, and I love the way it's said. Maybe if I would start looking to God's love this way and accepting it, it would change what I see this way. Not just what people think of me, but what I think of them. That to me is powerful. That's a lesson. That's enough. Let me ask you something this morning. How is the fear of rejection showing itself in your life? I've got five there. There's probably more. Coral brought up a few others. How is the fear of people, of rejection, showing itself? I've said this story before, and it's a true story, and, and Nathan doesn't like it. But he was afraid to go get ketchup. I've told you before. He's afraid to eat ketchup. I threatened to whoop him. If he went, where McDonald's? Go get some ketchup. I want some ketchup. Dad, go get some. Uh, why not? It's a teenager for crying out loud. Just go up and get some ketchup. And he goes, he won't go. You go or I'm going to whoop you. Would you like me to go with you? And he goes, so we walk up to the counter. I'll never forget it. I said, ma'am, yes. My son would like some ketchup. He wants to ask, he wants to ask you a question. I'm sorry, he wants to ask you a question. He goes, can I have some ketchup? Sure. And she grabs a pile. There you go. And we walk back to the table. Huh? I go, was it that hard? Was it that difficult? You know, I blew it. But I was trying to get him to understand, what's wrong with you? Same thing that's wrong with me. When I'm facing something I'm scared of, I don't want to do it. And I've got people saying, if you don't do it, I mean, I'm going to bump them. Would you like me to go with you? Can I tell you, you don't have to face your fear alone. There's, you've got two, two companions that would love to go with you facing your fear of rejection or any fear for that matter. Brothers and sisters in God's family and the Lord Himself. And you won't get scolded on the way back to your hamburger. What is fear? What's the step you need to take? Is it, man, I just need to, I need to just, I need to recognize, I need to accept Him. Really, I know I can't please everybody. Why don't you give up that plan? It's never going to work. Maybe that's the step. Maybe it's simply, you know, I just, I really, I do, I'm choosing both. I can't choose both sides. I need to choose to please God. And let's see where this goes. You'll, be, you'll live at peace a lot better if you do that. Maybe this, a step like that requires having peace with God first. If I'm going to please God, well, what's He about? And maybe open the Bible up with somebody and say, How do, what do you mean by pleasing God? What does He mean by that? And Tim talked about that. How does that start? How does that work? And maybe, maybe, um, maybe it's simply, I need to see how God sees me. I, I just need to learn that and tell myself that over and over again until it goes from being something I know to something I know. There's a card in your bulletin that can help you with that this morning. And if you'd like to, like to, Put something on that card, maybe a prayer request. Maybe it's somebody you're afraid to confront or you're afraid 
afraid of. Maybe it's maybe you, you you need to put that name down. Let this team of people that we have at our church pray uh, for you specifically over that card. I don't know what it is, what you need. You do, and so does God. We're going to let you have an opportunity to write on this card, a comment, a prayer request, whatever, a decision maybe you're making today while we sing a song. And after I get through praying, we'll sing a song. And then we'll sing another song and collect up those cards along with our weekly contribution. If you're a guest here, you're under no obligation to give when we pass the plate. Look, we didn't invite you here to get your money. We want to give you something. We hope we've given you something, an experience this morning. Now, if you're a member here, be generous, all right? Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for looking past appearance, looking past what You see, that You're the God that is so curious and so in love with us that You, like anyone who loves, looks deeper than the outside, the external. You look at our hearts. Father, You're looking at our hearts right now. Your Holy Spirit right now is working in the hearts of everyone here. Father, there's times when fear has it's been an evil master, an awful master, made us say and do things that we just are so ashamed of. And Father, it makes us feel like we can never be really anything. Father, some of us here, we're angry. We, uh, Father, I fight it. I fight anger and bitterness because of moments when I felt manipulated and I let that happen because I was afraid of what this person might say or do. Father, we pray You, you help us here to deal with that if that's what we have, some anger and bitterness there. Not, not to be mean to people or rude to people that are rude to us, but to trust You with whatever You want to do with it. Father, I pray for people that I know there's people that are here that just struggle so much. They're not afraid maybe so much of what people think, but they're just afraid, period, of the future. Afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow. Afraid of what's going to happen to them after they die. Father, I pray that You'll help us, help them use Your Holy Spirit and Your Word to bring comfort and confidence and information from Your throne that will help them face that fear and let it transform, Father. Let that faith get weaker and let that faith get stronger in each of us. Father, um, what a wonderful Sunday. Thank You for everyone here. Bless the homes that are here. Bless the marriages here. Help us most of all, Lord, to bring pleasure to You We pray in Christ's name. Amen.